really great to see you this morning. Uh, lovely to be with you. Um, just to say, uh, we are, for the next three weeks or so, uh, looking at um, kind of relationships, um, things that came out of uh, relationships and identity, I should say, so things that came out of Genesis, um, very clearly. Uh, we've just finished a, a six-week series in Genesis 1 to 3, and there was, you know, out of that, out of those passages, we see very clearly issues such as uh, marriage and gender. So we're just going to spend the next three weeks talking about marriage this week, and then uh, homosexuality next week, uh, and then uh, uh, transgender um, the following week after that. So, um, yeah, um, hopefully that'll be fruitful for us, helpful for us. Um, and why don't I pray, and we will... Um, We'll then take a look at this passage in Ephesians 5 together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the truths that we sung this morning. Thank you that the risen Christ is our righteousness who stands before you and presents us to you as spotless, holy and blameless. And Father, we do pray this morning that we would be people who trust that truth. Pray, Father, that we would not only trust it for our own assurance, but we would also trust it in terms of all the way it works itself out within our relationships with others. Father, please help us to do this. Uh, for your glory, and we do pray uh, that as we do this, people would see your glory, that they would see you in us. Father, we do ask this morning too for the uh, Sunday groups, all the children that have just gone out. Father, as they look at uh, the truth of Christ being joined to his church, and man and woman coming together, Father, they would uh, then look at their parents' marriage and see something beautiful and uh, glorious. Father, we pray for each of them that they would come to know Jesus at a very early age and live their lives for him. So please help us now. We know we need your spirit to give us soft hearts and ears that hear and eyes that can see. And please help us as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I just didn't think that it would be like this, Mary said. Mary looked uh, completely exhausted and defeated. And her husband, Sam, well, he just looked angry. Fifteen years, he said. Look at all I've done for you over the last fifteen years, and this is all I get. Mary, I am tired of your constant complaining. I'm tired of your daily criticism. Well, Mary just sat there and said, I just didn't think it would be like this. Now, Mary and Sam, they're a real married couple. And the words that I've just read uh, come from a uh, pastor who tried to help them with their marriage. And uh, 
Along with, the, with their words during a counselling session, the pastor also recounts that their marriage was not always like that. Okay, so they, they, they probably had a fairy tale wedding day celebration. They had a honeymoon in a, an exotic country. They maybe even had a really happy first few years. But the reason that the fairy tale didn't continue is because Mary and Sam, like the rest of us, are sinners. We saw that in Genesis 3 very clearly, didn't we? That we've all gone against uh, God. We, we are sinful. And so as they come together and they share life together in a home with different backgrounds, different expectations, different desires, as they discover who one another really is, well, they clash. And over time, what happens? Well, they become more distant. They recoil. They become disappointed. They become resentful and angry and then confused. I just didn't think it would be like this. You see, the truth is that marriage is really, really hard. Precisely because it involves two sinful people coming together as one. It just is. And it will always be a battle. And the question for us this morning then is, well, why bother? Why bother to fight? Why bother to fight for your marriage? Why make the effort to make marriage work? Well, there are many things we could say from a biblical point of view, but but the one thing that our passage this morning tells us, the reason that marriage is worth fighting for is this. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. It displays the gospel. So whilst it is hard, it is also something great and beautiful. It is a picture of Christ and his church. Now you might remember, that's where we landed a few weeks ago. If you were, if you were here, what I did is I, I always talk and I had these two big kind of puzzle pieces that, that Tim Carney made for us. And the whole idea was that what we saw from Genesis 2 is God made man and woman equal. Okay, so the, the puzzle pieces were made from the same stuff. They were equal, but they were different. Different shapes, different colours. And so what happened is they go together. And that's man and woman, isn't it? Man and woman go together in marriage. They become one flesh. They become one. And in the letter of Ephesians, Paul picks up on this point. He says, yes, man and woman go together. They go together as one flesh And as they do that, what he's talking about is Christ and the church. That's what the whole idea of marriage is about. It displays Christ and what he has done for his church. And I want to say that is really, really good news for us this morning. It is great news. Because it means that if you're here and you're single, then your singleness is somehow not a substandard thing. Okay, if marriage displays the gospel, then actually that's not something you need to chase after as if it will satisfy you, provide you with the perfect life. It means you already have what married people have. In fact, the Bible says you're better off without marriage. Singleness is a gift, singleness is a blessing, 
And one of the ways it is a blessing is the time that you, can, you have, the time you have to devote to praying for marriage, to getting alongside married couples, encouraging them in their marriage. And therefore, if you're a single person here, please don't switch off. Listen to this sermon so that you might see the reality of marriage uh, should you ever consider it in the future and listen so that you might help people um, who help the married people around you. If you are married, then the fact that your marriage points to something greater and displays something beautiful and eternal, what does it do? It gives it purpose. It means that it is worth fighting for. Now, what I mean by that is it's not just something that is worth putting up with, thinking, okay, well, we'll be disappointed and we'll be discouraged, but we'll agree not to divorce. No, if marriage is a picture of the gospel, then you really need to fight for it. You need to strive to be a clearer and clearer picture of what you are, a clearer picture of the gospel. And what this passage does this morning is it tells us exactly how we are to do that. It tells us how marriage should work if it is to become this beautiful picture of Christ and the church. Now there are three things we see. We see what wives are supposed to do. We see what husbands are supposed to do. And then we see how those two things go together. Okay, so firstly, we see wives. First thing we see, wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. That, that is so clear in the text that we simply cannot avoid it. We can't avoid that language. I know that might be hard for us to hear. And I see why it's hard for us to hear. That the, the culture that we live in thinks that submission is bad. And that's obvious, isn't it? Because, because we see so many abuses of authority. So many cases of forced submission. And I, I get that some of us may have seen that kind of forced submission firsthand. And so when we hear the word submission, it just kind of carries all these negative thoughts, doesn't it? It's something we want to kind of run away from. But let me just say, let, just give this some time. Okay, recognise that God speaks through his word and see what he means by submission. Okay, forget what you've seen or, or what the culture tells you about submission. Let's just look at this for a second. And if we take a step back, we remember, don't we, that Jesus Christ himself lived a life of submission. So he, he came to earth and he submitted his life to his Father in perfect obedience. And if that is how Christ, the perfect man, lived, then submission cannot be bad. It cannot be a bad thing. More than that, Submission is something that then characterises the Christian life. This is the first thing we notice here. See there in verse 21? Paul speaks generally to everyone. He says, submit what to one another out of reverence for Christ. So all of us who know Jesus are to live lives of submission. Now, it doesn't mean that there's, kind of, there's no authority, there's no order between us, and everybody is just kind of, well, you first, you first kind of thing. It means that, that no, what we seek it to do is serve one another in the right way as God designed it, out of reverence for Christ. 
And here we see that for wives, that means submitting to their husbands. Verse 22. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, I just want us to notice, Paul is very specific here. This is not a command, okay, for women generally to submit to all men. It is for each wife to submit, as he says, to their own husband. And for you to do that, as you would do to Jesus Christ, uh, for, for wives to do that, sorry, as you would do Jesus Christ, as the Lord. Now, the reason for that, you see in verse uh, 23. For, that's the reason, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. So wives is to submit to their husband because he is the head. So as man and wife come together, the man is given authority. He's given responsibility, like Christ, when he joins himself to his body, his church, Yes, we become one with him, but he is distinct. He is our head. And so what do the church do? They follow him. They submit to him. And so we read in verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Now I guess that is what it means. Is everything means everything. It means every area of life. You, you are to allow your husband to have authority and responsibility to be the head. And what Paul is saying here is that as a wife does that, it clearly displays the church following its saviour and its Lord. Now, that helps us, doesn't it, to think about what submission looks like. So yes, it is in everything... But more than that, do you see, it's willing, it's joyful, it's glad. Isn't that what we do as a church? When we hear the words of Jesus, we we submit to them willingly and gladly. We want to follow him. And even where we struggle, even where we don't quite get things right, we, we have hearts, don't we, that want to do that, that long to follow Jesus. I take it that's why we're here this morning. And of course, We do that with Jesus Christ because he is the perfect husband. He is the perfect master. He is, verse 23, our saviour. But it's right that wives have the same attitude towards their husbands. Now, what I've just said, I think, is what submission is. It is an attitude. So before it becomes an action, it it is a heart that says, I want to, I want to follow my husband. I willingly, gladly give myself to my husband. And I recognise that's a really hard thing, but ultimately, this is what Jesus tells you to do. And so to submit to your husband really is only for you to submit to your saviour. And so, submit to your husband. Submit to your husband's in everything. Pray for a heart that is glad and and willing and wants to submit. Now look, you might be thinking, well what if my husband is not a Christian? Can I just say, I cannot imagine how difficult that must be. 
but the Bible is clear, isn't it, that even if that's the case, the same command applies here. So 1 Peter 3 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Now Peter there is not saying your husband might be saved without hearing the gospel. He, he needs to hear the gospel, but he might be open to hearing the gospel if he sees in you a willingness to respect him and to follow him. That's not guaranteed, but, but as you do that, do you see, you begin to show what, what kind of saviour you have. You begin to show what the church's relationship to Jesus is like. And so again, pray for a submissive heart. Now, wherever, you're, wherever you and your, your husband stand, as, you, as that becomes your desire, okay, as, as submission becomes your attitude, please just remember at the same time that your husband is not Jesus Christ. That's very clear here, isn't it? So there's a comparison constantly going on between the role of the husband and the role of Jesus Christ, but Paul is not saying husbands are perfect. They're not. I know they're not. I know I'm not. Most of the time we're not. And that means, wives, of course you can approach your husbands. So submission does not mean that you are to be used as a doormat. If that is the case, if your husband is abusive in some way, please, please get help. Please speak with somebody in the church family. Don't don't just put up with that. Let us help you. Whatever action then needs to be taken, make, make us aware of it. Let us help. If your husband leads you into sin, you must not submit to him. Okay, instead you can approach him. Now I can say that because Jesus is your Lord ultimately. So if you want to, you know, you, you can point out to your husband, can't you? Look, Jesus is our Lord. You should, you should be leading us towards Christ and not away from him. And because your husband isn't perfect, submission also means you don't have to agree with every little thing he, he says, every decision he makes. You know, things that ultimately they don't matter too much, but you're not sure about, you can approach him about that. You can, you can still disagree with a submissive heart. Okay, so here's a great example of that. I came across this in a, in a marriage book, and um, uh, what's going on is the husband is making a decision, okay, and, and the wife thinks that this might not be the wisest choice, and she expresses her submission like this. She says, I know you thought a lot about this, and I love it when you take the initiative to plan for us and take the responsibility like this, but I really don't have peace of mind about this decision. I think we need to talk about it more. Could could we do that? Maybe we could talk tonight. Do you see, even in her disagreement, the wife is submissive in her attitude. So it's not rash. It's not accusing her husband of anything. It's not crushing. She is affirming his headship and just saying, look, can we talk more? I don't agree, can can we talk? And look, without doubt, that is one of the ways that wives can most help their husbands. It is to affirm them. 
they are the head of your marriage. So affirm them. Whether that be in disagreement or, or whether that be in agreement. You know, when your husband takes the lead and does make wise decisions, make sure he knows how much he appreciates that. And do you know what will happen? He will only become more like Christ. He will only be encouraged. If you only ever tell your husband how useless he is, then he will never be the man that you want him to be. So let him know that you're willing to follow him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, of course, husbands, you will only make that possible for your wives as you love them. And this is the second thing we see this morning. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Second thing we see. So, husbands, we have seen that you are the head in the marriage. Now, this is a God-given role. Okay, you don't become that over time. It's not something you earn. You just are. You are the head. Okay, nobody can change that. And what that means is that you will inescapably lead your marriage and your family because of who you are. So, so whatever you do will be setting a path for your wife to follow in. Okay, so if you're absent from your home, well, you'll lead with your absence. Even if you're there and you're, you're not engaged with stuff, you're, 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 your head is somewhere else, that is how you will lead. If you're angry, you will lead in your anger. If you're lazy, you'll be saying to your wife and children, this is the way to go. You will lead, even if you don't realise it. And so the question, you know, it's not a question of whether you decide to lead your marriage or not. The question really is, look, how do you lead your marriage? How are you supposed to do that? Well, thankfully, Paul sets out exactly how husbands are supposed to lead their wives. Look at verse 25. Husbands, what does he say? Be angry, be lazy be absent. This is husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is how you lead. With love. Now that's not some kind of airy, fairy feeling for something. No, no, specifically we are to lead with the kind of love you see as Christ gave himself up, as he died on a cross for his church. is that kind of love. Now before we see exactly how it is that we're supposed to do that, Paul shows us that Jesus gave himself up for his church with a purpose in mind. Do you see there, verse 26? What, why, why did he give himself up? Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, you see what's going on there? Christ gave himself to the church, and so he brought the church to himself as this perfect, spotless bride. So the, his sacrifice presents the church to him perfect. And as the church hear the good news of Christ and his death and resurrection, that's what happens. They are made holy, although they were sinful. 
They are washed clean and spotless, although they were filthy before God. They are made blameless, although they were guilty. And so they are fit to be his bride. They, 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 they are fit to be one with him, fit to be his body, that he can join himself, join himself to them. So you see, the gospel really is that kind of Cinderella fairy tale, isn't it? That, that we watch or maybe we even daydream about. It's the kind of the perfect prince who left his throne, who came to rescue this, this kind of nothing made and made her perfect and then lived happily ever after with her. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself up for his bride and, and made her his, his body, his own body, fit for that. And so, having seen that, Paul then addresses the husbands again in verse 28. Do you see? He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, we are to do the same. When you married your wife, you became one, one flesh. You don't just live together, close together. You are one flesh. That is how God looks at you. And so to love your wife literally is to, to care for yourself. It's not in the way of what you want to do. It's ridiculous, isn't it, to think that your wife is in the way or to act as if she doesn't exist. It's ridiculous to demand of your wife unfairly. It's, it's ridiculous for you to, you to use your, your wife as an object for sex. It is ridiculous to ignore your wife and just strive for your own ambition. Now, it is absolutely ridiculous to do that. Just have a look at verse 29. After all, no one ever hated their own body. See, if your wife is your own body, why are you doing it? No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And so you see, we are to love our wives as our own bodies. And Paul's point here is, look, as we do that, what we do is we show Christ's love for the church. We display him, just as Jesus gave himself up for his own body, the church, we are to give ourselves up for our own body, our wives. And we show some kind of picture for the gospel. We show that fairy tale wedding, don't we? We share that fairy tale love story as we do that. Now what that looks like day to day are the two things that we see there in verse 29. Did you see those? It is to feed and to care. That's what it looks like to love. Now those terms are, are deep and they are broad. Okay, so to feed is, is, is more like to nourish that means providing for your wife, both physically and spiritually. That, that, that's what Jesus does for his church. Now, it is his own body. That's what we ought to do. That's what we do, do for ourselves, don't we? We make sure we're, we're well fed. And so feed your wife. Now, because that's a nourishment thing, it's much more than just going out to work and earning some money to buy some food. No, we make sure our wives have everything that they need physically, emotionally, everything. That means we need to know them. We need to know how they're feeling so that they can then live lives pleasing to God. Of course, our wives will then need spiritual nourishment. So we need to encourage our wives in any way we can. 
pray for your wife and pray with your wife. Open up the Bible with your wife. Understand how she is feeling spiritually. Talk about the gospel. Encourage her to meet with other Christian ladies, even if that's inconvenient for you. Your wife will not flourish without you encouraging her with the gospel, feeding her spiritually. And at the same time, husbands need to care for their wives. That means cherishing them, keeping them safe. Of course, there's a physical side to that, but but again, there's a spiritual side, isn't there? I guess to protect your wife means you don't simply allow her to do what she wants to do. Yeah, that's what you see in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? That's what we saw in Genesis 3, that Adam just kind of stood by as Eve took the fruit. Now, he, he should have stepped in. He should have protected her from that. He should have protected her from Satan, but uh, uh, he didn't. And we should do the same. That doesn't mean that suddenly you become really controlling. It means that you seek to help your wife and discuss with her what will be wise to do before God in all areas of life. Ultimately, that means you you keep going back to Christ with her as your guide. So feed your wives and nourish them. Care for your wives. Cherish them. Those are the two practical ways we love our wives. And of course, we do that as we would our own bodies, as Christ does the church. For us to do that, that means it's not a one-off thing. Okay, for, For me to love my wife in this way is ongoing. I can never ever say, I have loved my wife today. I've, I've ticked that box. I, I can never do enough of this. And so just like submission for, for the wife, the love of the husband must start with a heart attitude. We must look at our wives as Christ looks at the church. So without stain or wrinkle, without blemish, holy, blameless. Let let me put it another way. Look at your wife every day as you looked at her on your wedding day. Look at your wife every single day as you looked at her on your wedding day. Because that's when you really start to love like Christ does. That's how Christ looks at us constantly. And that's when you really start to give yourself up and sacrifice any plans that you might have for the good of your wife. That's when you continue to feed and care, whether you get anything back or not. You're you're just giving. You're just giving unconditionally. That's when, even when your temptation is to be angry with your wife, actually, you can still be gentle. If you're looking at her and thinking, well, she's perfect. Or, or, or perhaps when you're tempted to withdraw from your wife. No, if you see that she's perfect, then you'll still go towards her. You'll still actively love her. Do you see, your love for your wife is not about how you feel. It's not a feeling. It's about the fact that she is your wife. She is one with your body. So you must love her as Christ loves the church. You must. It's really striking, isn't it, that this section of the passage is double in length, the instructions for the wives. And I think that's not only because, as men, we need to be told, 
but it's also because Jesus wants to make sure that we get this. We must do this. Husbands are the head. You must lead in this way. And trust me, as you do this, you will only find that you become the kind of man that your wife then really wants to submit to, really wants to follow. And then as these two things go together, what happens is you begin to paint this beautiful picture of the gospel. This is the last thing we see this morning. Together, display the gospel. Together, display the gospel. So having seen the instructions to wives and husbands separately, Paul now reminds us that men and women go together in marriage by quoting Genesis 2. You see there in verse 31? For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that's that's what we saw a few weeks ago, isn't it? Uh, And what we've seen in this passage, because man and women have distinct roles, okay, because they are different, they go together, they fit together as one man and one woman in marriage. Paul then goes on to say that the purpose of marriage is much greater than kind of two puzzle pieces fitting together. That's what marriage is, okay, two people coming together, but he then tells us what it's all about. Have a look at verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. That's what marriage is all about. Now, when Paul says that's a mystery, he doesn't mean it's something mysterious. It's something that we, that we don't know about. Okay, well, what he means is the purpose of it was not fully known until Christ came. But now that Jesus has lived and died and united himself for the, to the church, it's clear that when a man and woman come together as one flesh, that's what they display. They display Christ and his church. Now, look, that is true the minute that a man and woman enter into marriage. And we see this picture, don't we, of Christ and his church very clearly on the wedding day. So, so the bride, whoever she is, well, she just looks perfect, doesn't she? You know, it, weddings are funny things, aren't they? Everybody's kind of worried about what they're wearing. They're stuffed in a room. And they're thinking, am I, you know, am I looking better than that person over there? But all of that is forgotten when the bride walks in because you look at the bride and she's just stunning. She's just perfect. And then as she comes to the groom and the groom accepts her, he makes these promises, doesn't he? That... From this day, he takes her to be his wife from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. What you see there is like the fairy tale story of the gospel right in front of you. You as, As we witness a marriage, we see Christ and his this lovely picture of Christ and his church. But Paul wants us to know that the wedding day is not really where the gospel is displayed in all its glory. That does happen. It is displayed there. However, he says in verse 23, however, sorry, verse 33, however, each one of you must also, uh, also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. In other words, for the gospel to really be displayed, 
the man and wife must not just come together and have this lovely celebration. They must function together as commanded here. As they live out marriage for the next 15 years and beyond. As they discover who one another really are. As they disappoint one another and as they sin against one another. As they go through all the ups and downs of life, they need to forgive one another and show grace towards one another. And the man must love his wife and the woman must respect her husband. And you see, in doing so, they gradually become this clearer and clearer picture of that final wedding day. Of how Christ loves his church and his church submits to Christ. That's the aim of marriage. For a man and wife together to display the gospel. Now what that means as we've said at the start, is that marriage is so much bigger than itself. A marriage relationship will, will end at the point of death, but, but for the time that it lasts, it displays something of the perfect eternal relationship we have with Jesus. You know, and we all need to know this. We all need to know this this morning. So if you're a Christian here, sorry, if you're not a Christian here and you're, and you're sceptical about Christian beliefs, and particularly what Christians believe about gender and marriage, then of course you need to hear the truth, but you really need to see the truth in action. Okay, you need to, you need to see a display of that truth in two people to see just how beautiful the truth really is. And only then will you know that Jesus is worth following. If you're a Christian and you're, you're single... You don't need to to get married to have any more than the Christian couple have. So Jesus is already your eternal and perfect husband. And one day you will see that in reality. One day you will have a wedding day with him. And a marriage that lasts forever with him. But as a single Christian, can you see, involve yourselves in, in the lives of married people. Help them to become clearer and clearer picture of the gospel. Remind them that that is their aim because they will need all the help they, will get, they can get. And if you're married here, the great news is that your marriage is not about you. It's about Jesus. Now, do, do you see what that means? Please, please if, if, you, you know, if at any point you switch off, please listen to this what I'm about to say, it, it means that if you're a wife who has failed to follow and affirm your husband, and if you're a husband who fails to love his wife, can you see you have Jesus who sees you as blameless and perfect. He has married you. And that means you can turn to him. You, you can confess your faults, your failings. Not those of your spouse, but yours. And you can know forgiveness. If you feel like you failed at this, I guess in reality we, we all do, don't we? Jesus still loves you. And you can know his grace. 
and then you can know his restoration. You know, with Jesus, you, you can then say sorry to one another. With Jesus, you can then forgive one another. Those are, those are two of the most important things you can say in your marriage. I'm sorry, and I forgive you. And then you can just start to take little, tiny steps forward. Okay, wh- wherever you are, make your aim to display the gospel more clearly in your marriage. So wake up in each morning and think to yourself, I want to put the gospel on display more clearly than I put it on display yesterday. I want to put the gospel on display today. I want to show people Christ and his church in the way that I interact with my spouse. Make that your aim, and only then will you begin to submit to your husband and love your wife. Together, begin to show Jesus. Make that your aim. I want to display the gospel in my marriage. And do you know what? That will be your best tool in evangelism. As you invite kind of neighbours round for them to see the gospel in action, that will be the best thing you can do. You're showing them Christ in the church. This will be your best parenting tool for your kids to see. Okay, For your kids to see a picture of the gospel right in front of them. That that, that would be the best thing for them. And it will be the best thing for you, ultimately. You see, what we really need to, to, to... to, to live this out in these days, it's not, it's not a date night. We don't need that. Okay, it's, it's not better communication. It's not a break away or even a break from one another. Okay, those things have their place. Of course they do. But according to verse 18 of chapter 5, what you really need for this is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God making you more like Jesus. Now, only he can do it, ultimately, and because he is a God who, can, who promises to do immeasurably more than, than we ask or imagine, actually we can go to him, we can rely on him, and we can know that marriage is worth fighting for. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for um, the gift of marriage. And Father, at the same time, we recognise that marriage is hard. We thank you for what it is. We thank you that it is a, a beautiful picture, a display of what Jesus has done for his church. And we pray, Father, that we would be people who help one another, whatever situation we're in, will help others in their marriage, And in our own marriages, strive to live as people who will clearly display the gospel. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.